Karen coworker tries to abuse days off, so I get her to retire. My friend, who I'll call Sandy, worked at a travel agency in British Columbia, Canada. It was a small owner-operated business with the owner and three employees, including my friend. Everyone worked Monday to Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. One of my friend's coworkers, I'll call her Jane, an older woman in her early to mid-60s, was a longtime nuisance employee. Among her other sketchy behavior, Jane was always scamming ways to take time off and on top of her officially paid vacation time. In order to make up for lost hours, she would claim overtime hours slash pay by supposedly going into the office in her off hours to finish up work without being requested by the owner to do so. Despite being caught in her own lies on a number of occasions and being warned about trying to claim for unsanctioned overtime, the owner of the travel agency was reluctant to officially reprimand Jane or get rid of her. The reason being is the owner discovered after she had hired Jane that Jane had actually been fired from her previous job at another local travel agency for pulling the same stunts. However, Jane had sued her former employer for unfairly dismissal and she won the settlement. After a few years of my friend Sandy working at the travel agency, the owner was ready to retire and offered to sell the business to my friend. Sandy took her up on the deal and took over the business while keeping Jane on and the other employee. Once again, just as the previous owner was afraid to get rid of Jane, so was Sandy for the fear of being sued. When Sandy took over the business, she instituted guidelines regarding taking time off and she established an official no overtime policy. Jane would still try with her shenanigans, but was far less successful in getting what she wanted with my friend in charge. However, Jane still had one trick up her sleeve when she wanted to take time off on a whim. Sandy was a divorced single mom of two boys who was heavily involved in youth hockey. She would sometimes leave the office an hour or two before closing to get her boys to the hockey practice or a game. In order to avoid requesting in person and potentially being denied, Jane would wait for Sandy to be out of office to book the day off if she didn't feel like coming into work or had made plans. Sandy would arrive at work the next morning only to discover that Jane wasn't coming in. Despite this happening numerous times, Sandy would usually let it slide since there was now a definite no overtime policy. Therefore, Jane could no longer claim to come into work on the weekend or after hours in order to try to make up for the day off. She would either miss out on a day's pay, in turn saving Sandy money as an owner, or it would come out of her remaining paid vacation days. Moreover, two people in the office at the time could usually handle everything. Jane not coming in was really a no-loss situation for Sandy. There was one time, however, when Sandy was going to be away for one or two work days just before the weekend to take her boys to a hockey tournament. She told both Jane and the other employee, both verbally and in writing, that she could not book off for those dates in question since she would be away and needed both of them in the office. Within a few days of giving this notice, Sandy went into the office on a Saturday to do some paperwork and go through the sales for that week. This is when she discovered that, only the day before, Jane had booked a trip for her daughter and son-in-law to Vegas, as well as a plane ticket in her name to Calgary where her daughter lived. Both the trip to Vegas and the ticket to Calgary coincided with the dates that Sandy said she would be out of the office. Sandy then checked the vacation booking schedule to further discover that Jane had indeed booked the days off that she had expressly told her she couldn't have. Not mentioning she had discovered the traveling Jane had booked for herself and her daughter, Sandy emailed Jane telling her she would have to deny her the days off since she had already been told that they were unavailable because she, Sandy, 
would be away and needed Jane in the office. Through a continued series of email exchanges, Jane replied and outright lied to Sandy with some excuse about her daughter getting some long-awaited medical treatment or surgery, and she needed to go to Calgary to help out for a few days and look after her granddaughter. Sandy replied that this is a lie by telling Jane she knew about the trip she had booked to Vegas for her daughter and son-in-law. That Jane's trip to Calgary was most likely to babysit her granddaughter while her daughter was in Vegas. And that she still had to deny Jane the days off, especially since she booked them after being told they were unavailable. Jane countered in a subsequent reply, without addressing that she had even been caught in a lie. That she had been a dedicated employee of the travel agency for several years and couldn't understand why she is being treated so unfairly after all she had done for the business. She then wrote since she wasn't being treated as a value employee that she had no choice but to retire and was giving her two weeks notice. Despite Jane's threat, Sandy replied that she will still be unable to grant her days off and left it at that without making any mention of Jane's threat to quit slash retire. Sandy then contacted her accountant who also acted as her de facto business advisor and explained what had just happened with Jane. Also aware of Jane's previous shenanigans, Sandy's accountant told her that this was the out she had been looking for with Jane and that she had it all in writing. He told her that Jane had essentially resigned slash retired and all Sandy needed to do was honor Jane's desire to do so. Let her finish out her two weeks or pay her two weeks wages in lieu of no further severance pay legally required since she hadn't been fired. That following Monday, Sandy went into the office early accompanied by her long-term boyfriend to act as a witness. She put Jane's belongings from her desk into the box and took the things that were property of the business. Since Jane was old school and had resisted inputting clients' information into computer databases, this also included a small box filled with index cards which had clients' phone numbers, addresses, credit card information, and other personal information noted on them. In the meantime, the other employees had arrived for work and they all awaited Jane to show up. Jane had arrived just before 9 a.m., acting as though nothing had happened and greeted everyone with a good morning as she walked through the door. However, she was apparently taken slightly aback when she noticed Sandy's boyfriend seated in the far corner of the office. At this point, Jane was midway to her desk when Sandy informed her that there was no need to go any further and that she had accepted Jane's notification of retirement. She then handed Jane a check compensating for the hours she had worked in the current pay period as well as two weeks wages in lieu of Jane finishing out her final two weeks before her retirement. Jane was dumbfounded and went into panic mode, but I didn't retire. I'm not ready to retire. Sandy responded that indeed she had retired, given her notice and had proof of it in writing. All Jane could do was continue repeating, but I didn't retire. I'm not ready to retire. While unsuccessfully attempting to get the support of other employees who refused to come to her defense. Sandy then pointed to the box containing Jane's belongings, wished her a happy retirement, and told her to leave the office. Jane quickly rifled through the box and noticed that the small box containing the index cards with the client information was not there. She insisted that Sandy return it to her, which Sandy refused to do, explaining that that was property of the business containing personal client information and that she would be in violation of Canadian privacy laws if she were to let Jane take it. Jane's shock had now turned into obstinance and she refused to leave without the box. Both the other employee and Sandy's boyfriend started to get involved, repeatedly telling Jane to just leave. Sandy informed Jane that if she didn't leave, she would end up calling the RCMP. 
Canadian police, at which point Sandy's boyfriend dialed 911 to inform the dispatcher of a disgruntled former employee at XYZ Travel Agency who was refusing to leave the premises. Within a few minutes, two police officers arrived and Jane immediately ran to the door ranting about being fired and about missing a box of client information. In order to de-escalate the situation, one police officer told Jane to come outside and explain to him her side of the story. The other officer remained in the office to hear Sandy's side of the story, agreeing that Jane was not legally entitled to the box of client info. The other officer then re-entered the business and told Jane to wait outside. He said that Jane was insisting that Sandy was holding onto personal belongings, namely a box of important information. Both Sandy and the officer who had spoken to her explained the contents of the box to the other officer, who in turn agreed it was not Jane's property. The police officers then picked up the larger box of Jane's personal belongings, took it outside to Jane, and told her that she needed to go home. To rub salt in Jane's wounds, the next day, Sandy put up a large sign in the window of the business congratulating Jane on her retirement, and even put a small announcement in the local newspaper doing the same thing. And lastly, the icing on this piece of revenge cake was when Sandy was filling out the necessary government forms for when an employee quits, gets fired, or retires, made sure to check the box labeled retired for the reason why Jane is no longer being employed. By doing so, Jane was ineligible to collect unemployment insurance benefits. But let me know, am I the jerk? This is one of those times that I enjoy hearing about a boss getting the better of one of their employees. I'm not sure if anyone listening to this has had to deal with someone like this Jane character, but man, when you work with people that don't want to work but want to get paid, it sucks pretty bad. I used to work with some people that abused the short-term disability a lot at my old job. They would disappear for months at a time, and when they returned, they weren't much help because we knew that they were going to be gone after a while back on short-term, or they would end up being let go. But this could take up to six months to a year at some times. So I know all too well what this OP was talking about in this story. This is the story of my first boss and how he screwed over the new boss by giving us every certification. When I was 14 years old, I got my first summer job and had one of the best bosses I've ever had. I found out recently that unfortunately my mentor and someone I would consider a friend, John, passed away. Although it's been well over 20 years, I still use the lessons learned and the work ethic he passed on to me. Although at times he could be hard, he was more than fair and always did the right thing for those who worked for him. This is the story of John versus the new president. Let me give some background and context on John. John was the textbook all-American boy. John had attended a prestigious boarding school somewhere in New England and eventually attended Yale back in the late 50s or 60s, and was not only a scholar but a three-sport athlete. He played football, he boxed, and was the captain of the track and field team. Fast forward to when the story takes place and John is still in phenomenal shape for a late 60s and early 70s man. John opted to move out to the country, start a family, and follow his passion which was teaching at the local high school and coaching high schoolers in various sports. Obviously, he was the high school football coach, taught track and field, and was an outstanding shot put athlete and could run a mile and many other long distances. As a teacher, he had the summers off and became a lifeguard at the local town beach, eventually becoming the captain of the lifeguards. Over time, he developed standards for the town, county, state lifeguards to pass. He really transformed what was a ragtag style of lifeguards into a full-fledged official lifeguard corpse. 
training academy, and set the standards for what is still used today. John was eventually hired to run the lifeguards and manage the entire private beach club instead of working for the town beach. One of the biggest challenges of this, since it was a private beach club, John now reported into a president of the beach club who oversaw how things were run. I started working for John as a helper on the beach and then eventually a lifeguard, and for the first couple of summers, things were great. The president of the beach club took pride in having the best staff and making sure that lifeguards were well paid and to his credit, safety was the utmost priority. The private beach club certainly catered to the more wealthy clientele who wanted a nicer beach instead of going to the public beach. Some of the advantages were the amenities which were the lockers, cabanas, private parking, and very nice restaurants that serve great food and drinks. This was one of the few beach clubs that also had the ability to serve booze. One of the good things John had instituted was any returning member of the staff from the previous summer automatically got a raise. This ensured that the staff returned the next summer avoiding a lot of retraining and also you could imagine growing pains with new staff. What was even better was that if you return multiple summers you still got an additional raise. Most summers this was a dollar or two. As example, I started at 725 at 14 years old. This was back in the late 90s. But by the time I was in college I was making almost $15 an hour. Typically, the president of the club serves a term which is a few years, and when his term was up, a new president was ushered in. Upon taking office, the new president loudly proclaimed that he wanted to ensure that the club had fiscal responsibility and he would be personally going over the books with a fine-tooth comb. His first order of business was to cut everyone's pay all the way back to minimum wage and fire most of the lifeguards. Now, as noted above, the staff was there for a very long time, knowing most of the members and how to run the place. Prior to the start of the summer, upon learning that their hourly wages would be cut, most of the senior staff immediately left and were quickly hired elsewhere. The lifeguards were spread at the appeal of John to ensure safety. Although some senior guards left for other beaches and pools, John was able to convince some lifeguards as he would take care of things. On to the malicious compliance. While John agreed to have the staff take a pay cut, he convinced the new president that any lifeguard with additional certifications would get $2 an hour on top of the base minimum wage. The new president obviously didn't consider that any of these lifeguards would put in the effort or if it was feasible to get any certifications in the time for the summer season and he agreed to the plan. Now, as you can imagine, John basically established the process and the curriculum for becoming a lifeguard and personally trained and hired most, if not all, the trainers in the town and county. John was also a volunteer fireman and knew all the EMS personnel and not surprisingly had either taught them in school or hired them as lifeguards in their past lives. John quickly called in favors from every trainer and certifier across the county who was more than happy to repay all the favors John had done for them in the past. Most waived the training fees and expedited the training sessions for the lifeguards and they wanted to promote safety for the community. Prior to the start of Memorial Day weekend and what was effectively the unofficial start of the summer, all of us lifeguards and new staff became certified in pretty much every single possible certification that existed at the time. I mean, I'm talking crazy complete overkill and unnecessary certifications for a regular lifeguard. 
We got trained as EMS and EMTs. Although lifeguards had to be certified in CPR, we retrained and got CPR certifications. Again, lifeguards, oceans, and pool rescue techniques, certified swimming instructors, certified food inspectors, the club had a kitchen, certified county pool operation license, certified sanitary inspection, which was cleaning bathrooms. We even had one guy who wanted to learn how to scuba. The county firefighters had a water rescue team who coincidentally was certified in scuba instruction. Most of us guards became certified divers, open water divers, deep water rescue divers, the whole works. I could go on and on about all the certifications we got. The lifeguards not only went back to their original wage, but in most cases went well above what their previous wages were. At 18 years old and back in the 90s, I personally went from making $15 an hour to $27 an hour all due to the certifications and training. It took a month or so for the fallout to happen. While the new president tried to renege on the deal, John was smart enough to have a formal agreement in place and there was nothing the new president could do besides complain about it. He wound up resigning his position to spend more time with his family at the beach. We rarely saw him around that summer, and I think he eventually stopped coming altogether, opting to join another club. John made nice with the new president and explained his philosophy of training and keeping staff. The new president agreed, and some of the senior staff wound up coming back with the promise of their original wage. A few weeks ago, I heard from friends and former colleagues that just at the start of the summer season, John passed away in his sleep of natural causes at the ripe age of 91. He was still working, although not as much in the past. It was more of a, hey, I want to keep busy type of thing than a, I need to keep working kind of thing. Every morning, he would take out the lifeguard rowboat and get some exercise in. After all, he was a certified rowing instructor. Rest in peace, John. You were the best. But let me know. Was John a jerk? The world needs more people like John in it. He seems like a natural born leader and he cared about people he worked with. I can relate to John a lot in terms of him trying to get the best for his team or have mistakes be corrected for the betterment of my coworkers. I've always thought big business or the idea of being fiscally responsible leads to losing the best workers in the end. And it just creates cutting corner situations. So shout out to John and any other people like John in the world that go above and beyond for those around them. Company that we've worked for for decades says that we should fire them, so we do. My family runs a small trucking company. Depending on where you are in the world, you might call us P&D Company, the Final Mile Company, the White Glove Company. Basically, we handle the kind of stuff that you might buy to have delivered to your home or business. That's not too big for someone like UPS to deliver, but not big enough for a tractor trailer to haul and or stuff that actually needs to be brought into the home and set up like furniture, appliances, etc. A lot of what we've hauled over the years is stuff going to small stores that can take deliveries by large trucks, construction sites where large trucks can get in and out, neighborhoods and apartment complexes. We don't work for the people buying the stuff, we work for the people selling and shipping it. But as we tend to see the same business owners a lot, we've developed great relationships with them over the years. We don't get rich, but we've been pretty comfortable over the years. One of our major stressors has been a longtime shipper who has, or rather had, become increasingly demanding as time went on. Now when I say long time, I mean it. We made our first delivery for them over 50 years ago. Our company has been doing business with them longer than any of their current employees or management staff have been there. 
There was one point not too long ago where the retired guy who came in a few hours a day to sweep our warehouse because he was bored sitting at home literally knew more about shipping systems than their senior field rep who was supposed to be supervising our operations. We have been a small but vital part of their network for so long that almost no one there has realized how much we did for them. We've seen field reps come and go. Some have been great, some have been a little challenging, but most have, once they realized what was going on, largely left us alone to do our jobs. One even called when he took over our area to ask who we were because his predecessor had no notes on us at all because they'd never had to visit. We've just been, mostly, quietly plugging along, taking care of our customers, and in some cases for generations. Well, this latest rep was genuinely an unpleasant person. He was arrogant, abrasive, casually insulted our employees, Honestly, it's not even worth getting into here. He wasn't someone we wanted to work with, but I'm able to put on a happy face and get along with about anyone. When needs must, so onward we went. As I said earlier, the shipper had been getting more and more demanding as time went on. Systems had been getting harder to navigate. Inventory had been getting harder to track. Phone trees had grown into nightmares. More and more layers of bureaucracy had been added. And with every change, they'd grown less agile, slower, and more difficult to deal with. One day, the field rep called because he didn't like how we'd answered an email. Not that we hadn't answered it, just that he didn't like the manner in which we had answered. After decades of dealing with this shipper, being micromanaged at that level was not something that we were interested in. The manager who was dealing directly with him tried to defuse the situation, but it kept getting worse until the field rep said, if you aren't happy with how things are going, maybe you should just quit. Oh, okay then. We started running the numbers, looked at all of our other businesses and decided that we could, indeed, go on without them. And then I called the field rep to have a frank conversation with him. And then I wrote a short, polite, direct letter to our customers of over 50 years telling them that we were firing them. We didn't just pull the plug, we gave them a full 60 days notice so they'd have time to get something worked out. And they didn't. We've always been here for them. They've never had to worry about it. They had someone they thought was going to be a replacement, but well, as of today, most of their customers in the areas haven't had deliveries in weeks, some longer than that. Many don't know when they'll get their next shipment. That field rep might still have a job when it's all said and done, but it's not our problem anymore. Our phone keeps ringing from people that are looking for their freights from the shipper. All we can say is, sorry, you'll have to call them. But let me know, am I the jerk? Always know your worth, people, especially if you run a small business or if you just happen to work for one. Can companies easily replace you? For sure, but it doesn't mean that the transition will be easy. I left my job for a bunch of reasons, but one was definitely because I felt like I wasn't viewed as an asset to the team, but more of just a body. But I heard once I left, the shift wasn't doing well because I was a lead and I had a lot of knowledge that a lot of the new guys didn't have. It caused a lot of headaches and forced the manager that hated me to work a bunch of late nights. Like I said, know your worth. That's it for today's video. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on any content, hit that subscribe button and make sure you hit that bell to turn on notifications. If you want to finish listening to all those stories, use the playlist at the top of the description. And if you're someone who live streams and needs copyright free music, check out the cream of the crop music by searching cream of the stream on Spotify or whatever music platform you choose. Remember, it's free.